You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 18. I want to welcome you this morning. Excited for what the Lord has in store for us today, especially want to welcome those that are visiting with us. We're excited to have you here uh, with us as well. If you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, uh, then I want to kind of catch you up with where we've been in the book of Exodus, because we've specifically been talking, um, chapter 16, chapter 17, about what God's been doing in their life at this place called Rephidim, this, this place along their journey in the wilderness where God directs them to. Uh, and we talked about how this place is, uh, the, the meaning of this place is a place of rest, And yet what we've seen during their time there is that it hardly fits the description of rest. It's a place where uh, there's no water to drink. We talked about how a a rest stop would typically be a place where you could refresh yourself uh, with water, and and there is no water there. Um, And yet God provides water for them. We talked about last week how it became a place of battle where they're attacked by the Amalekites. Um, it's not a place of peace. Uh, it's a place of, of attack and battle where they have to, to work out their faith and trust in the Lord as they go to battle and do what he's called them to do to fight. And yet Moses intercedes for them and is praying to God for his power and for his deliverance. And so we've really emphasized a lot the last couple of weeks how our rest is not defined by our level of comfort. Uh, instead, it's defined by our comforter and his power right? So Rephidim is a place of rest. It's not misnamed. It is a place of rest for his people. Uh, And it's a place of rest because God provides for his people there. He provides water where there is no water. He provides victory in the midst of battle. And so um, it's a place where we kind of reflect upon as believers today and we say, hey, this is an opportunity for us to learn from this, to embrace this idea that God is one who gives us rest in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges. It's an opportunity for us to live at rest every day, no matter what comes, right? No matter the route that God takes us on, no matter the lot that he deals to us, we can rest in him. And I was thinking about this this week as uh, we get ready to start a new school year at Trinity. And so I'm kind of gearing up for that and making plans. And um, I, I went on a conference this week with our principals and our assistant head of school and you know, I just made the comment to them based on things that I'm learning here. I said, I want to live this school year differently. I want to live it in such a way where um, I remain at rest all the time, not just on breaks, not just at summertime, but that I remain at rest throughout the school year without getting worked up every time a new trial or new challenge comes my way right? Like I want to live at rest knowing that, hey, God's going to intervene. God's going to work. God's going to handle. And I'm just going to be faithful and obedient in the midst of it. Deuteronomy chapter seven, this is just kind of, again, getting us all on the same page before we jump into Exodus 18. But in Deuteronomy chapter uh, seven, verse 17, this is down the road as they're looking to go into uh, the promised land. But the the children of Israel are reminded about why they can find rest and why they don't have to fear. It says, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do all 
due to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Right? It's that idea of remembering. We've talked about this. Remember what God's been doing so that it sets you up for, for faith in the future when new trials come. He says, hey, when these new nations kind of rear their heads and you have to go to battle with them, don't fear them. Remember that God's already been delivering you from similar trials. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. Look what verse 21 says. You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. He says, you don't have to fear because the Lord your God is in your midst and he is great and he is awesome. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their names perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Think about what the Lord's saying there. He's reminding them, hey, there's going to be new trials that come, and when they do, don't lose heart, right? Don't faint. Don't grow weary. Remember what God's already done for you, right? And then he says, in the midst of the new trial, God is going to deliver you, but it may not be right away. It may not be as fast as you would like for it to be, He says, I'm not going to just hand these nations over to you so quickly that you can't manage the land. He says, I'm going to do it little by little, right? Like I'm going to pull you out of this next trial. I'm going to pull you out of this next challenge little by little as it is good for you. And you have no reason to fear through any of it. No reason to fear through any of it. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. I forgot to read this last week which is a big mistake on my part because we were talking so much about how uh, last week that whole idea of God is our banner and he's our rest, right? So they get the victory over the Amalekites. They're celebrating, they're rejoicing, they're making sacrifices and altars and they're celebrating God's deliverance and God's power and, and his victory. And we talk about how we rest under that banner. But then we talked about how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of that, right? Like the whole idea of Joshua being a warrior, Jesus is a better warrior. The idea of Moses being an interceder who's got his hands raised and is praying on our behalf, Jesus is better than that because Moses got weary last week, right? Like he's dropping his hands and he can't, he can't fulfill it fully without some help. Jesus doesn't need anybody to hold his hands up to intercede for us. He's, he's constantly interceding for us. The Bible says he lives to intercede for us. Well, Isaiah eleven ten says, in that day... The root of Jesse, who is Jesus, who shall stand as a signal or banner for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And Jesus is our resting place, right? Like we don't go to a place called Rephidim to find rest. No, anywhere we go, everywhere we go, we can find rest if we trust that Jesus is in control. Jesus is going to work and move and provide no matter what challenge, no matter what trial we face, right? So I make this commitment this week, like, hey, I want to live at rest. And then yesterday, um, things are playing out like with us trying to buy a house and whatnot. And so I'm I'm going through my emails and I get a a ding in my email about something hitting my credit report. And I was like, what? Like, what is this? I'm like, this is an error. So I call them. And I mean, I get worked up real quick because I find out, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to cancel your cable, it's, it's, a, it's like an ordeal. It is a process. If you ever get cable, it's like trying to get out of the bondages of Egypt sometimes because they don't want to let you go, right? So I called them back in February to get done with cable 
Thought we were done with it. The guy assured me like, hey, I've moved you over. You only have internet going forward. No worries. Everything's intact, right? Well, then I get notified yesterday that there's some hidden bill that didn't get paid when I transferred my cable over and they've turned it over to a debt collection company, right? So I spend almost two hours on the phone yesterday trying to get this thing removed because I called uh, Matthew Rice, who's, who's a part of our church and he's uh, a, a lender and he's like, yeah, this is going to affect your, your, your credit report. It's going to affect your, your interest rate. Like you want to get this off as quick as possible. So I'm getting all worked up yesterday. I'm talking to this to, uh, multiple people and nobody's willing to help and it's like the Lord just reminded me, like, hey, why are you, why are you freaking out about this? Like, and so I just stopped the conversation. I said, ma'am, like, it's clear, like, we're not going to get to resolve this today. Like, I need to talk to somebody who's obviously not working today because it's the weekend. I said, well, if you'll just put a note that your supervisor needs to call me on Monday. I said, I've, I've, I've spent too much of my day worrying about this with you on the phone. I'm ready to just set this aside, right? And it was like, man, like, the Lord just kind of confirmed to me that this is, this is what it means to find rest in the midst of trial, right? Because I'm looking at this, I'm like, man, like this has got to come off. Like we're already struggling to find a house. Now you tack this on, this just makes it harder, right? And it was like, the Lord's just confirming to me, hey, you don't have to worry about this. Like this is what we're talking about. This is an opportunity for you to apply what you're learning to find rest, glorious rest in the fact that Jesus remains in control. So all that to kind of springboard us into Exodus chapter 18, where we finally get to a point where there's not a new trial, there's not a new challenge that our people are faced with in the story, which gives us kind of a break to meditate on what that means for us today too. Exodus chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming with you, coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Our summary sentence for today. When we pass the spiritual test we encounter through the trials we experience, it serves as a means of growth and encouragement, not only for our own faith, but for the faith of onlookers around us as well. When we pass the spiritual test we encounter through the trials we experience, it serves as a means of growth and encouragement, 
not only for our own faith, but for the faith of onlookers around us as well. For our kids, when we trust God during hard times, it helps others trust God too. Remember, we've used this terminology of testing over the last couple of weeks because the Lord uses it, right? He's telling us that he is testing the people of Israel. Will they trust him? We talked about how the children of Israel tried to turn it around and test God, right? Are you with us? Are you going to provide for us? Ultimately, though, it was meant to be a test for their faith, to grow them, to help them apply the things that they were learning. These challenges, these trials that we experience today serve in the same manner as a test for our faith, a test for us to grow and mature in our willingness to trust him with our life. What we're going to see today is that we're not isolated in that as though God only has purposes for us in our trials. Instead, we're going to see that as we work through trials and as we work through those tests of our faith, as we come out on the other side, as we pass those tests, as we put our faith and trust in Christ, it serves other people's faith too, right? And so that, that gives us some assurance and some encouragement, I think, because we've talked about like every week that we're here, hey, gear up and be prepared for whatever trial may come this week, right? To, to, to have some assurance and encouragement that, man, there's bigger purposes at play than just me going through a trial, right? That God's orchestrating these events to grow not only my faith, but also the faith of others who are on looking to see how do we respond to some of these trials. Exodus, we've seen, is the story of God saving Israel from the bondage to Egypt by ushering them into a wilderness to grow their faith. Think about the lessons they're learning to sing praises to God for his saving work, to trust him for daily provision, to be active and passive in carrying out his will. These are lessons that we've seen them learn over the last couple of weeks. It's the same lessons that he sets out to teach us in our own sanctification, right? We're saved from sin. We're saved from death to life. And then he sets us on this course of wilderness wanderings where we too are learning to have our faith sanctified. Last week, we talked about how this, this community of faith that God is building now, this children of Israel that's come out of Egypt that are learning to worship him, they need to understand his power, and we saw his power last week, right? What we see this week is they need to learn to testify or to witness about that power to others. Gospel witness, when you, when you hear that term, a, a need to witness, some of us may cringe up a little bit in fear of like, okay, talking about sharing our faith. I don't know how to do that. That's hard. That's difficult. That's challenging. Uh, it's potentially offensive to others. I want to I try to simplify some of this for you today when we talk about gospel witness, because what we're talking about is testifying or sharing about what God has done. We're simply testifying and sharing about what God has done. Right? So you don't have to memorize some formula about the gospel in order to tell somebody else about what God has done. What we're going to see today is that Moses is simply faithful to relay to Jethro what God has been doing in his life. And what does it lead to? It leads to Jethro's response of worship and faith in this God. It's far easier for us to think in terms of being able to share with others, coworkers, neighbors, family members, friends, be able to share with them what's God doing in your life right now, right? Like what, what, what challenges or trials or current situations have you found yourself in? And what has God done? How has God worked and moved in the midst of those challenges, right? Those are things that we can share very faithfully. 
And in the midst of sharing that, we're able to re- return to the glories of the gospel that, hey, this is all based on my relationship with Christ, a relationship that I enjoy because I believe that he died on the cross for me as a sinner. He rose from the dead three days later. He is coming again to rule and to reign. Moses gives us an example of what it looks like to testify or to share with others what God has been doing. He's carrying out the mission that's given to all of us as God's people. Now, there's a couple of textual questions that I want to address real quick before we jump into our points of application for today. Um, First off, there's this idea of Moses and his family being reunited, and we as the reader had no idea they were separated, right? Like, there's nothing that's been mentioned prior to this that tells us when or why Moses separated from his wife and kids. Some commentators believe that it was shortly after that whole... uh, Um, revelation that he had not circumcised his oldest son, right? Remember we talked about that before he goes to Egypt and demands Pharaoh let his people go. Um, We talked about kind of the weirdness of that passage. Some people think that after that, he just sent them back home, that he sent his wife and kids back home. Um, Others believe that maybe it happened in the midst of the whole Egyptian plague thing playing out, that for their safety, he sent them back early. Others tend to think that maybe it was after they left Egypt, right? and they encamp at the mountain of God that he sends them ahead because they're all kind of in the same area. He goes ahead and sends them to visit the grandparents, and it's in the midst of visiting that they decide to return and reunite with Moses, Uh, which leads into a second textual question. Uh, We're told here in verse 5 that the reunion takes place when Moses was encamped at the mountain of God. Well, it's in chapter 19, verse 1, that we're told they leave Rephidim and camp at the mountain of God. So chapter 18 is most likely out of order chronologically. Most likely takes place after what we're going to see transpire in chapter 19 and on. So most likely the law is given to Moses at the mountain of God, and it's after all of that takes place that then his family reunites. So you might ask, well, why did Moses include it here? He's obviously writing from firsthand experience. Why would he put this out of order? Well, it it provides a nice break between the sections of Exodus. We've had them coming out of Egypt and getting to this point now of receiving the word from God, right? And so now we're going to see kind of a transition where they camp and they kind of stay put for a while and they get this revelation of God from the mountain. And so Jethro coming kind of helps break that up for us. And so I think that's why Moses probably put it out of order Um, here in chapter 18. So it doesn't really matter when they separated or why. The Bible doesn't give it to us, and so that that probably means that it's not that important. Um, I tend to think that Moses probably kept his family with him as long as he could because he wanted them to experience everything that was transpiring. He wants them to know this God too. More than likely, he probably sent them ahead once they left Egypt. Now they've come back to reunite, and that's what we see taking place here in our text today. All right, let's jump in and look at three points this morning. Number one, Listen for ways God is working in others' trials. Listen for ways that God is working in others' trials. That's certainly what Jethro was doing. His ear was in tune with the happenings around him. It says that Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He hears these things that God has been doing, which helps us to see that God's goal for his renown was being accomplished. God's goal for his renown 
was being accomplished. Remember, we said in the book of Exodus, we learned that God wants to make himself known. He wants people to know him, both his people, Israel, and the surrounding nations. And that's what's happening. News of what God was doing for Israel was spreading throughout the land, right? Zipporah probably brings some of this to Jethro as his daughter. Hey, daddy, you're not going to believe what God's been doing for us. There's also the possibility that travelers are spreading this word too, right? Because we know that news of what's happened extends all the way into Canaan, where people like Rahab are fearful of this God. So news is spreading very quickly of what the God of Israel is doing for them. Jethro, who's a a spiritual man, a priest, right? His beliefs about spiritual things are stirred because of what he hears, right? He hears things happening that maybe defy what he personally is seeing in his own spiritual life, right? Like this, this seems different. This seems powerful. We talked when we first introduced Jethro and this family that Moses enters into by marriage. We said that uh, Jethro as a Midianite is a descendant of Abraham himself, right? Like he comes from one of Abraham's children through a concubine. So he's not through the promised line of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and so on. He, he comes from a separate child of Abraham. Because of that, he probably has some knowledge, some understanding of Yahweh, this God of Israel. He would have he had some type of spiritual heritage there, but more than likely it's been intermixed with some of the other religions of the, of the area, right? He's a priest of Midian, right? And probably has some blurring of theology in the midst of being that spiritual leader, we see later in the chapter, what does he profess? What does he confess? The God of Israel is greater than the other gods, right? These other gods that I've been mixed up with over the years, I've now found the superior God, right? So there is this idea that there, there was probably an acknowledgement, at least at some point in his life, of other gods and other means of worship. But in the midst of hearing about what the God of Israel is doing, this spiritual man is stirred towards wanting to hear more, most of the people we come in contact with, most of the people we come in contact with have some type of spiritual background. Living in the country we live in, living in the state that we live in, more than not, the people we come in contact with have some type of spiritual background. Doesn't mean that they're a believer by any means, but it does mean that there are spiritual inclinations, right? Like their ears are sometimes perked towards spiritual things happening. Why is that an advantage to us? Because as we are faithful to share what the God of Israel, what the God of the New Testament church is doing, right? It gives us an advantage because we're speaking to people who have some spiritual background to operate with. Jethro's similar. His ears are perked up. Hey, this is incredible what I'm hearing about this God. What this God is doing is, is creating curiosity in me to know more, right? He's drawn to knowing more about this God of Israel. God's goal of his renown is being accomplished. Word is spreading about his fame. It's interesting, as Israel focused as we've been through the last several weeks, the one who benefits immediately from God's work in Israel is somebody outside of Israel, Right? Exodus 9, verse 16, remember God tells Pharaoh, I've raised you up for this purpose, what? To make my glory known throughout all the earth. And we see that immediately happening. Here's a guy who's outside of Egypt, outside of Israel, who's being drawn now to be a part of this faith community. He's like, I want in on this. 
I want to follow this God because I've heard about him. I'm impressed by it, right? I want to yield myself to it. God's goal, his renown being accomplished. Number two, God's goal for his remembrance was being accomplished too. Think about the names that are chosen here by Moses for his kids. Moses' father-in-law, verse 2, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. Who are they? Gershom, who we already know from earlier in Exodus. He's named for Moses being a sojourner in a foreign land. But now we're introduced to another child, the name of the other, Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this, this one's a newborn, right? Because his name comes from a deliverance story about finding victory over Pharaoh, which has only happened recently, right? So this child is newly born, and and Moses intentionally names him in such a way to declare what God's been doing. The choice of names for sons are indicators about Moses' faith. He believes himself to be a foreigner who is being helped by God. This is our testimony as well, right? Like we're foreigners here on this earth. We're foreigners here until Jesus comes back. This world is not our home. And yet we too have Yahweh helping us. These names probably had an impact on Jethro as the granddad, right? Like as he calls these names out, as he calls these boys and and spends time with these boys, their names are reminders to him of the God of Israel. Increasing his desire to know more about what this God is doing. What's the implication for us from this? Trials are tools for God to work in memorable ways to increase the knowledge we have of his power and provision. Trials are tools for God to work in memorable ways to increase the knowledge we have of his power and provision. Right? So whatever trial, challenge, difficulty you find yourself in, speak truth to yourself about what that trial is. Right? Like, why would God bring me into this? Well, He wants to work in a memorable way. Right? He wants to bring me into something difficult so that He has to work in a mighty way to get me out of something difficult. Something that I'm going to remember, something I'm going to be wanting to tell other people about, about His power, about His provision to increase His fame on this earth. Trials have purpose for us. Christians are promised trials, right? And we can, we can find encouragement by believing this truth. These trials do have purpose. They are meant to point us to God's provision, God's power, to be able to tell others about these things in memorable ways. Listen for ways God is working in others' trials, right? It's not just that we focus in on what's God doing in my life and God doing in my trials. Man, we ought to find hope and encouragement as we hear others sharing, Right? Like we want you to share what God is working and doing in your life on the realm so that we can read about it on our social media platform. We want to read what God is doing in your life and how God is working and moving and providing. Why? Because it reinforces our faith. It strengthens our faith so, so that when we go through our next trial, man, we've got more to work off of that God's been faithful to me, but he's also been faithful to a lot of other people in my life too, which further reminds me that he's going to keep being faithful to me. Listen for ways that God is working in others' trials. Number two, share the ways God is working in your own trials. Share the ways God is working in your own trials. 
Jethro gets word that, that Moses and, and, and the people of Israel have come close enough for a reunion. And so Jethro sends word that they're going to come. They're going to visit. They're going to reunite with him. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. What happens there? Verse 8 tells us, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships they'd come, that had come upon them, how the Lord had delivered them. Right? He, he, he goes into great detail probably about everything that's been happening. Number one, Moses took opportunity to relate to Jethro his trial and his deliverance. Moses took opportunity to relate to Jethro his trial and his deliverance. What takes place here would have been a common Middle Eastern greeting for hospitality, right? So you've got Jethro coming to the camp, to the tent of Moses. So it would have been very customary for Moses to go out to meet him, to welcome him into that tent, to have conversation, to have a meal together, which we see continues to unfold through this passage where they end up eating together eventually as well. Part of that greeting would be to, to talk about how things have been. It's the same type of greetings that we would use, right? Like when we, when we interact on a Sunday morning, we're typically going to uh, enter into conversation with, hey, how's your week been? How's work been? Like, what's the idea there? We want to know the status of your welfare, right? Exactly what they end up talking about, right? They, they, they begin to, to dialogue and to discuss what, what is your welfare? How have you been, Common greeting, common conversation becomes an opportunity to testify through trial about God. We're probably a lot of times better at telling people about our problems than telling people about our deliverances. At least I am, right? Like, um, you know, I shared with you last week, after weeks of looking for a Bible teacher in the summertime, God provided right? Man, I was blowing up the phone lines when I needed a Bible teacher, right? Like I'm calling connections like, hey, I need one. Please pray for this. If you know anybody, let me know. Da, 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 da. And then God provides a Bible teacher, right? And uh, I was convicted this week because one of the guys that I had contacted at Snowbird calls me a week after I've hired a Bible teacher, right? And he says, hey, I think I might know somebody that's looking. Call me and I'll give you his contact information. And my first thought was, it's been a week and I haven't told him what God did. Like, I was so intentional to call him and appeal to him and beg him and like, hey, I need you to intercede for me. And then a week later, I still haven't told him that God did a miracle and provided a Bible teacher in the middle of the summer for me. And I was so convinced. I called him yesterday. I was like, hey, man, like, I am sorry that I haven't called you and told you this, but God did something really awesome, and I've already hired somebody. We're, we're way better at telling other people about our problems, our trials, our challenges, our difficulties, and we're not as great about following up and saying, look what the Lord did. And I don't know why. I don't know why, why that problem, and maybe you're different. That's me, though. Like, I'm way better at telling people about my problems and far less good at telling them about how God works and moves and delivers, right? Maybe because when I'm talking about my problems, 
the focus is on me, right? Feel sorry for me, feel sympathetic towards me, think about me and what I'm dealing with. And if I talk about how God delivers, the focus is not on me anymore and it's about God. Like maybe that's the source of it. Maybe there's such spiritual pride in me that I'm far easier, it's far easier for me to direct people's attention to me, woe is me for what I'm going through. And then when God pulls me out of it, I'm far less inclined to draw attention to him. You may be that way too. Moses sits down with Jethro and says, here's what my welfare is like. Here is what God has done for me. Charles Spurgeon says, we're prone to engrave our trials in marble and our blessings in sand, right? We're far better at engraving our trials and our challenges in like permanent marker. We're putting them into marble. And then the blessings that God gives us, we write them in sand, right? They don't last. They don't linger for us. They're quickly blown away. They're quickly covered up. Moses, though, he's faithful to recount the hardships they've encountered as well as the deliverances they've encountered as well. Right? I'm sure he sat down and told him, Jethro, we got back there at first and we failed. We went before Pharaoh. We said, let the people go. And he wouldn't let them go. And in fact, he made their slavery harder. But then God attacked Egypt's gods with everything following his declarations exactly. Like he would tell certain things to show up and certain things to leave. And they, they listened to his commands. Like it was awesome. Like it showed that he was greater than the Egyptian gods. We were spared by a substitute lamb on a deathly night where the Egyptian firstborns were killed. We walked out of Egypt rich. And then we get out of Egypt and we experience detours where we're going the long way here. We experience traps. We experience food and water shortages. We even got into a battle. We even got to a fight. But you know what? God kept winning victories for us over and over and over again. He's giving them basic gospel, right? Bad news, good news. Here was our plight. Here was our problem. Here was our desperate need. And you know who came through? Not us. We didn't get ourselves out of this. We didn't rescue ourselves out of this bondage. We didn't provide food and water for ourselves. We didn't find victory over the Amalekites. God kept giving it to us. The good news of the gospel is that, that God does everything that we need, right? Yahweh took us from death to life. Man, I read this and I, and I think to myself, we have to take advantage of opportunities to pass on what God is doing to others. Whether it's for their salvation or just their growth in their faith. Look what Acts chapter 20, verse 24 tells us. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as, a precious, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is what Paul says. He says, my life's not a value. Like my, my life's purpose is to testify about the gospel of the grace of God to others. And whatever that brings me into, whatever that, that brings upon my life, so be it, because this is the mission that's been given to me. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I think Moses is living out what should be the, the normal, daily, weekly rhythm for us. That as we come in contact with people, as we have fellowship with people, as we kind of 
bounce small talk back and forth. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? That we take those opportunities as, hey, let me tell you how I'm doing. Let me tell you what God has been doing in my life, right? To use opportunities to interact with others, to to catch them up, not just on how we're doing, but what God is doing and how that shapes our welfare. Moses takes advantage of this. Number two, Moses made sure that God was the focal point of his storytelling. I didn't make a grammatical error here when I said that he took opportunity to relate to Jethro his trial and his deliverance, right? That was, that was intentional because I think Moses recognized the trial comes from the Lord. It's his, capital H, and the deliverance comes from the Lord. It's his, capital H, because he makes God the focal point of his storytelling. He's God-focused in his storytelling. He does nothing to detract from God's glory. God is the one praised, not Moses. I told you, I think that's probably why I struggle, if I'm being honest with myself, why I struggle sometimes to relate to others the, the, the praises of God more than the problems of God because it detracts from me being the focus, right? Because to do it right is to lead to the praise of God. It leads to the praise of God because look what, look what happens here. He tells them all this, how the Lord delivered them, verse nine, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I mean, what a great opportunity for Moses to really earn some, some street credit with his father-in-law, right? To say like, hey man, you think you're an awesome spiritual leader as the Midianite priest? You've got this big shepherding company. Like I've been shepherding people out of Egypt, right? Like, like this would have been an opportunity for him to really show the worthiness of himself to his father-in-law. And however he shares this, it doesn't lead to him getting any recognition from his father-in-law about it. Right? Like Jethro's giving praise to Yahweh. He's like, the Lord has delivered y'all. Like the Lord has done this. Moses is so God-focused in his storytelling. And stories like this ought to encourage us. Encourage us to share what God's doing with an expectation that others could be converted as a result of it. Think about that. Like, why should we tell others about God and what he's doing in our life? Because it serves them. It's used by God. Part of the reason he brought us through the trial is it's a tool. It's a tool for us to have content to share with others about how great he is. And the goal is what? For his greatness to be known. So he's giving us greatness content to tell other people about. Because here's the thing. You could sit down with a coworker and be like, hey, let me tell you the story of Exodus and how God split the Red Sea in two. Your coworkers would be like, when did that happen? Oh, it happened like a long time ago, right? Like, like many thousands of years ago. Doesn't detract from its awesomeness, but, but a person of today would probably like to hear something that's happened more recently maybe, right? So, so I can tell them about the Exodus for sure, absolutely. But then I can follow it up with and say, hey, you know what? That same God, man, he's carrying me through a trial right now as well. Like, like let me tell you about how he's doing that in my own life right now. Right? We have opportunities to share the content of how God is delivering us from our trials as a means of making his greatness known. 
Jethro hears this news, right? He receives the news, he believes the news, and he acts upon this news, right? Most commentators would say this is him being converted to the God of Israel, which is exactly how conversion takes place today, right? Like salvation doesn't operate differently in the New Testament from the Old Testament. When we talk about someone being saved today, we talk about them hearing the good news, right? Romans tells us you have to hear the good news to be saved, right? We talk about receiving the news and believing the news. The idea of confessing with our mouths and our hearts that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has been raised from the dead, right? Acting upon that news, repenting of our sins, turning to faith in Jesus. That's what Jethro does here. These basic steps of conversion, he hears the glory of God, he turns to the glory of God. I put in my notes, your trials may be used to give someone else an aha moment where they come to realize the reality of all that they've heard. Think about that. Like, think about if God is giving you a specific trial so that he can bring you out of that trial so that you can then share it with somebody who's maybe been on this own faith journey where they've, uh, they, they've been uh, brought to conviction by the Holy Spirit, but they've yet to, to put their faith and trust in Christ, to have your trial be that moment where it all clicks, right? And they come to believe in this God. That's what happens for Jethro here. This trial, all the trials that Israel's gone through has been used for an aha moment for him where it's like, this is the God. This is the God that I need to be following. The implication is that trials are tools for us to use as conversation points to relate to others how God has powerfully provided for us. Trials are tools for us to use as conversation points to relate to others how God has powerfully provided for us. The key being that we have to be good storytellers about God not about ourselves. Good storytellers about God to where people leave that conversation knowing that there's something that has to be done about this God that they've just heard about. Either they believe him or they reject him. But regardless, the storytelling didn't leave to them having to do anything about me. They don't have to decide if they should give me any recognition or not because everything about my storytelling pointed to God who did all of it. Share the ways that God is working in your own trials. Number three, Believe and rejoice over God's work in those trials, both the trials that you hear about in other people's life and the trials that you're experiencing yourself. Believe and rejoice over God's work in those trials. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And then Jethro brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And then Aaron shows up and he came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. They end up having this celebration, this, 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 this meal together where they're celebrating what God has done, both in their own life and the trials that God has rescued them from, and now what God has done in Jethro's life to bring him to a point of belief too. Number one, we need to acknowledge the work of God in others for our own faith. We need to acknowledge the work of God in others for our own faith. Again, if you're like me, sometimes I'm hesitant 
to overly rejoice about what God's doing in somebody else's life because I'm quick to cast doubt on, on some of those stories that I hear, right? Like sometimes you have somebody tell you like, this is what God has done. And, and, and if you have a critical spirit, maybe you start to detract and say, well, maybe, maybe that didn't really happen or, or maybe God didn't really do it the way that you're describing. Man, I think we should, we should believe that if we, so here it is. We believe in a God, right? We believe in a God who rules the universe. We also ought to believe then that he's working regularly outside of our own little universe, Right? Like if God is the God of the universe, he obviously did more this week than just work in my life. I mean, I don't celebrate the things that he's doing in other people's life as though I experienced it myself because that's how Jethro kind of responds. I mean, Jethro gets so excited about this and it didn't really impact him at all. He wasn't a slave in Egypt. He didn't have a shortage of water or food and yet he's rejoicing and celebrating over the fact that God did that for somebody else. It's as though his faith has been increased because of God's provision for somebody else. Imagine if we would buy into that and allow our faith to grow as we see more and more him providing for other people. We believe those things, that the work of God is happening in the lives of others. It builds our own faith. Number two, we need to acknowledge the superior implications of God's work through trials as well. We're finding value in our trials today, right? Trials are tools for God to work in memorable ways to increase the knowledge that we have about them. They're conversation points that allow us to relate to others how powerful God is. They provide separation as well from him and other gods. Here's what becomes certain to Jethro, right? That Yahweh is greater than all the other gods, and we live in a day and age where, man, our youth are growing up in a culture where, uh, right, our, our society wants you to believe that all religions are the same, that you can worship how you want to worship, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to detract from what other people believe. It's okay for them to believe that. It's okay for you to believe this. Like, we can coexist together. And, and Jethro reaches this point, a guy who had worshiped another way, right, he comes out and says, this God's better than all of them, Right? He's not equal to, so that I can coexist with him as the priest of Midian. It's, no, he's better. Like, he's, he's superior. He does things that other gods can't do. And that, that's where he kind of leaves it. It's that, man, like, this God is better based on how I've seen him deliver through trials. He understands that only God could have done what's been accomplished he knows Egypt. He knows how powerful Egypt is. And it's like, hey, the only one who could defeat Egypt here is your God. This is basic fruit of true conversion, right? Think about what Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. He says, your reputation is great, right? Your reputation of faith is, is known how you turned from idols to worship the one true living God. That's what conversion looks like, to turn from other gods, not to put Jesus on level playing field with other gods, but to say, there are no other gods. There's just Jesus, right? We follow him, separated from all the other religions of this world. Jethro's rejoicing creates grounds for fellowship next, right? There's celebration that takes place. There's fellowship. There's rejoicing that takes place. And we've talked a lot recently about being prepared for trial after trial after trial after trial. I think we have to be careful that we don't fall into like a pessimistic perspective then as believers 
that we can't ever find reasons to rejoice or to fellowship or to celebrate because we know that the next trial comes, right? I put in my notes, um, Jethro's rejoicing creates grounds for fellowship. Life isn't just about managing trial after trial. We ought to embrace the times of sharing, rejoicing, and fellowshipping. Yes, be prepared for the next trial. They aren't going away. But also be anticipating the next opportunity for rejoicing over God's deliverance. Don't be pessimistic and just thinking like, well, okay, like I just got out of this trial. When's the next one coming? And take time to rejoice and to fellowship and to celebrate what God's done. I told you recently, I'm watching the, Lauren and I are watching that old TV show, uh, Once Upon a Time. It's about Disney characters and, and heroes and villains. And there was a scene that stood out to me recently where I told you they go from bad guy to the next bad guy. There's like hardly any break in between. And one of the main characters, guy, girl, like each other, and uh, like he wants to have dinner with her. And she's like, we ain't got time to have dinner. Like there's another bad guy probably coming right around the corner. And he kind of stopped her and he said, what's the point in fighting so hard through each trial if we can't find time to just rest and relax and rejoice when nothing bad is happening? It kind of stuck with me because I feel like we need that too as believers, right? Like we know trials are going to continue to come. Like they're not going away. Just like the children of Israel, as they wander in the wilderness, the next thing is coming. But there's breaks in between, just like when they didn't have any water and then God provided water, when they didn't have food and God provided food, right? The bitter water, then they get to rest at an oasis for a while where there's just plenty of water. We ought to find those times in between those trials to rejoice over his deliverance, to celebrate his deliverance, to fellowship with others around his deliverance. The implication for us, trials provide God opportunity to separate himself as worthy of our worship because he is able to work good in all things. That's what separates him. He's not a God who keeps trials completely out of our life. He's better than that type of God. He's the God who can allow trials in our life and use them for greater good purposes. That's what makes him glorious. He's not just a God who keeps everything bad and shields us and protects us. No, he allows things in our life that he can then use for good purposes to grow and strengthen our faith. Makes him better than all the other gods. The application for us today, two truths to remember. Number one, seek to rest in your latest trial, believing that how you navigate that trial may lead to a state of rest for someone else. Man, fight to rest in the spirit of Rafidim. You may find yourself in a place that feels like there shouldn't be any rest. Man, seek to rest in that place. Realizing that how you navigate that trial, how you believe and trust in the Lord and his provision and his power in that trial, it may lead to somebody else's rest when you get to tell them about it. See the bigger purpose of your trial, right? Like, I want to find rest. I want to navigate this trial well. I want to pass this test because I want to be able to testify to God's deliverance to somebody else, and they may find further rest because of that storytelling. Number two, seek to share your latest deliverances so that your experiences with God become a testimony to the world. Seek to share your latest deliverances so that your experiences with God become a testimony to the world. Don't be like me. Don't ask for prayer about something, beg for people to pray about something, and then not follow up and tell them, hey, God answered it. 
God did something powerful here. Take advantage of it. Share those deliverances with people. Let those experiences with God become a testimony to others about who he is and what he's capable of doing. Let's pray together. God, we, we rejoice and, and thank you over the ways that you've carried us through recent trials in our church. Lord, we look back already on this year and we anticipated it back in January that there were going to be challenges, there were going to be trials. Because as we were walking through Exodus, we believed that you had much to teach us about trials and challenges. And you've given them to us. Lord, we're thankful for the ways that you've delivered us from so many things already this year. You've worked and moved in mighty, powerful ways. You've provided when we didn't think there was going to be provision. Lord, you're showing yourself to be the same God of Exodus. So while these stories happened thousands of years ago, you're helping us to see just how relevant they are today. How they teach us about you today for our own experiences. God, we know more trials are coming. You've promised that they're going to they're gonna remain until you come back. So God, we're asking once again that you would keep us in a restful mindset. That we don't have to get worked up and worrisome and anxious this week when, when some new challenge presents itself. We can rest, even though it doesn't feel restful at the time. We can rest because it's not about our level of comfort. It's about the power of our comforter. And so, Lord, help us to rest this week. Whatever, we cha- whatever we're challenged with, whatever we face, help us to rest in you. Lord, help us to navigate our trials in such a way where we see the bigger picture, the bigger purpose, that you're making yourself known. You're creating opportunities for you to work in memorable ways so that we never forget you. You're providing us content to be able to share with those around us both to hopefully see people come to salvation, but, but certainly to strengthen the faith of believers around us as well. God, help us to see that the way you work in trials separates you from everything else in this world. It's why you deserve our allegiance. It's why you deserve our devotion. Because nothing in this world can satisfy the way you do. Lord, help us to yield to that truth today. Help us to navigate trials through your supernatural power in a way that we can storytell to others how great you are. God, use our trials to, to bring others to faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.